Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode number three of this incredible, mind-blowing podcast, Physics of the Mystics. You're going to hear the most exciting topics on this podcast, Physics of the Mystics. We're going to talk about science. We're going to talk about physics. We're going to talk about theoretical physics and quantum mechanics. And you're going to be blown away at the incredible relationship that modern-day scientists have finally put their fingers on it and are understanding and appreciating the principles that the age-old Torah and books of Kabbalah and mysticism have already been teaching us for hundreds and thousands of years. We've already touched upon some very important and very exciting subjects. In episode number one, we talked about atoms, and we talked about how the atom, which is the smallest substance of any item, reflects exactly as the Torah tells us, a microcosm of the macrocosm. We find that the way an atom operates is exactly the way, on a bigger level, the entire universe and the way God in the Torah commands us to conduct ourselves. We see that there is a proton and a neutron and an electron. There has to be a man, a woman, and God over as a canopy um, and as a balance between the proton and the electron. We see how the proton is at the center and the electron takes up most space and whizzes around in seven shells. And uh, we demonstrated in some very significant ways the incredible recognition that science brings um, to the mind and its relationship with exactly the way the Torah describes the way the world operates. There is a center. According to the Torah, it's the earth. There are, there are planets that revolve around the center. We'll get into the discussion in another podcast, what goes around what. Does the sun go around the earth or does the earth go around the sun? And we'll discuss that at great depth. But we talked about the fact that there has to be a balance between a proton and a neutron and an electron. And in a home, for it to be balanced and healthy, there has to be the husband, there has to be the wife, there's got to be the positive force, the negative force, and there's got to be the uh, infusion and the enveloping atmosphere of godliness in that house. Then we talked about in episode number two, we looked at hydrogen. Hydrogen, which is the first element on the standard periodic table of elements. And we spoke about how that is at the core of the sun. And it's incredible when we uh, uh, observe what is hydrogen as element number one and the way it fuses four of those atoms into helium. And that's what's at the core and at the essence um, of the sun. That's what makes all the energy and all the photons and all the warmth and all the light in this world. And it all emanates from number one, fusing in four different expressions, coming together and creating what we know to be the light and the sun in the world. And we discussed how the four letters of God's name, which um, express the oneness, Hashem Echad, God is one. 
the yud and the hey, the vav and the hey, which is in truth one at its core and at its essence, we see that actually happening in the sun and its numerical value, which is 26. And we spoke about how um, from that process that begins with hydrogen, we end up with the most stable of all um, elements, which is iron. And that happens to be number 26 on that standard periodic table of elements, the most stable. And that's at that point when nuclear fusion um, reaches its maximum, uh, its maximum potential. So we already started to touch upon some incredible ideas and some incredible uh, 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 thoughts to, to consider and to recognize its relationship and its expression um, of some very deep, uh, mystical, metaphysical truths that give rise to, um, to, to that phenomenon. Today on today's podcast, we're going to talk about science and religion. Is there a conflict between science and religion? Can one deal without the other? Can, can there be religion without science? Can there be science without religion? Well, there certainly cannot be science without religion because God is the source and the cause for science. I guess there could be religion and there could be God if we equate and we want to define, at least for this at this moment, we want to define religion as God, believing in a God. It could be God without science because he could have decided to create nature and the way we experience nature in a different way. But at the end of it, it there would have to be some kind of a, a process. And that process is dependent on God. But God is certainly not dependent on that process. And we're going to get into that a little later on in today's podcast. But before we get there, I wanted to remind you, my name is Rabbi Shlomo Ezagwi, and I'm a rabbi in Palm Beach County, Florida, for the last 35 years. Um, and I was a rabbi before that as well. Been all around in the world. I've had the good fortune of uh, living in Israel and living in South Africa and living in Australia and then living in England, and then being around in this world and uh, experiencing many different uh, ways of, 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 of living and of thinking, and uh, I've come to recognize more and more so um, the incredible depth, internal wisdom, eternal wisdom um, that we get out of um, uh, our teachings of the Torah. So that's who I am. My name is Rabbi Shlomo Ezagui. I've authored a book on Maimonides, the greatest codifier of Jewish law. So I've addressed and grappled with law. It's called Maimonides' Advice for the 21st Century, incredible book that uh, uh, draws the uh, rules and the insights of ethics and values from Maimonides and how we can and we should apply it to today's day and age. That would make the world a better place. Then I authored another book, a spiritual soul book, and it's over 800 pages, 320 chapters, small little chapters of about two, two and a half pages. Each chapter is independent of the other one, although overall, they all complement each other. So that was the second book that I wrote. And I'm working on now the physics of the mystics. And I'm, while I'm working on that book, I'm sharing some of those ideas in this podcast. And of course, the point of the book and the point of this podcast is to impress upon people the incredible authenticity and the incredible deep wisdom 
um, of our great sages, especially as it's taught in the books of mysticism. I want to remind everybody that if you send me your email address, just tell me um, you're listening to this show. Um, you can offer me some uh, suggestions um, uh, or just leave the email blank. But I will then have your email address, and that will help me build an email list for this topic of physics of the mystics. You will be entered into a raffle for $260, a gift card from Amazon. So it's worth it. Just send me an email to physicsofthemystics at gmail.com, and you will automatically, without even paying a penny, you will be automatically entered into a raffle um, to win a $260 gift card from Amazon. Okay, let's get to today's subject. And I'm going to quote to you many different scientists on today's podcast. And for many of you who are familiar with physics and science, you will be familiar with these names. There are so many of them, and um, I tried to keep the podcast for the last couple of them until about 20 minutes, a half an hour. So I don't know how I'm going to do with that today. But let's start with quoting some of the well-known theoretical physicists and uh, just scientists in general and, and, and psychologists, Lawrence Krauss, Richard Feynman, Stephen Hawking, Alan Guth, Neil deGrasse Tyson. These are names that many of you are familiar with. If you are familiar with science um, and you listen to PBS or whatever else is your source to become educated on some very, very important uh, wisdom that helps us appreciate the world that we live in and the world and the universe that is around us. So unfortunately, um, most scientists, at least publicly, claim to be atheists, agnostics, or just even ca- don't even care to think about um, the uh, religion, uh, the, the, the quality or the positive benefits or the uh, possibility for um, any kind of veracity that is uh, with religion or believing in a God. But, you know, it just happened, I guess, by divine providence. And uh, as a believing Jew, I believe, of course, that there is a God and God has a uh, interest and he has uh, uh, an influence on the smallest detail that exists in this universe. Because God is infinite, he has no limitations. So, you know, you're going to see by that definition alone, that what many of the scientists claim and say as a rebuff for believing in a God is ridiculous. You know, Because if there is a God, then as the Torah tells us, he is infinite, he's omniscient, he's omnipresent. And we're going to talk about this in another podcast, how we see those qualities in one of the most outstanding physical phenomena, that's light. Uh, but that's going to be sometime down the line. And I hope I'm going to be encouraged. I already received emails from literally all over the world listening to this podcast. And I'm very encouraged when I hear from people in Britain and in Israel and in um, the many countries that I heard from. Let me think for a second. Um, I heard from Pakistan and I heard I don't have the list in front of me. Maybe next time uh, if I when I come to the podcast to do it, I'll have the list there in front of me. But the other day, by divine providence, because everything I believe is the finger and the hand of God, I heard this little clip from Ronald Reagan. And Ronald Reagan, one of the uh, presidents in the United States, he said he, he has this dream one day to invite all his atheist friends 
to this culinary delight kind of a feast. And after he puts down the most tastiest and the, 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 the most beautifully presented plates of, uh, of the most outstanding exotic foods, when they ask who was the chef and um, who put us all together, he wants to answer that it all happened by itself. And it all got blown together, the, uh, the foods and, and, and the presentation, and everything got blown together by itself. There is no real chef that could be credited for all of that. Anyway, that was, I thought, an interesting, uh, an interesting uh, imagery, a metaphor uh, for the foolishness in thinking that the world as it is could have happened by itself. But um, let me quote to you some of the, uh, uh, um, the, the, the well-known and famous scientists and physicists, and then I'm going to address in, in, in a general way um, the points that they make in uh, literally just, you know, in snarky ways, rebuffing um, the belief in a God or the possibility of religion and things of that sort. And for the most part, what these scientists are saying is ignorance. It's just ignorance or it's laziness. And it's just they're not interested in considering and in going in that direction because that's, you know, um, that's the uh, the culture of scientists you know, to, to maybe believe in themselves too much as their own gods, when the truth of the matter is that there is so much that scientists do not know. There's way more that scientists do not know um, than they have figured out. Scientists are in some very small degree figuring out the way the world and the universe works by looking at the way God has programmed things to be. And still they haven't figured out um, the majority of what is, and even after they've created their statistical rules for things, there is always the random surprise that comes in between that, you know, of course, uh, you know, we, we don't have everything exactly down, um, down to the, to, to the T and to the, and to the uh, dot upon the I, you know, that's not possible. There are just so many different uh, possibilities that, it, you know, we just can't, give you an exact uh, uh, prediction of, of when the weather is going to be what it is and whether you're going to live or not. When it comes down to it, no doctor can tell you whether you're going to live or how long you're going to live or whether you're not going to live. They may not even get started with meteorologists, um, how uh, inaccurate they are. But that's for the most part how I see um, the expression of, of, of uh, either um, not, not caring at all uh, or, or, or even going so far, um, Richard Dawkins in particular, he's made it a, a like a, an aggressive kind of uh, religious fervor to, uh, to to put down anybody who believes in any kind, any, any anything religious. But let me let me give you some of the quotes, and and, and then we're going to um, try to deal with this in a in a in a general fashion. What is the relationship as far as the mystics go with science? Let me start out by saying that, of course, we respect and believe very much in the knowledge of scientists. As a matter of fact, the Torah makes it very clear that when you're not well, you got to go to a doctor in order to be cured. It doesn't tell you to go onto a tall mountain and start praying to God and meditating. The Torah recognizes the importance of the knowledge of the current time, even though that knowledge keeps on changing all the time. 
and what doctors thought um, not so long ago as being the healthiest and the best way to deal with things today in many different uh, examples is killing people. And the same thing is true in the other way. Um, so what was no good is discovered today to be good. But the Torah says, God says, I work through people. You got to put your hand and your finger to things. And then in the end, I will give you the blessing in your effort. And since ultimately it's always God that has the last laugh. So it almost, almost many times doesn't even matter what kind of a finger we put to things because ultimately God is the one that steers things to its final conclusion. But let me, let me quote to you Lawrence Krauss. Lawrence Krauss, as you all know, smart guy, smart guy. He says, religion, he says, is, uh, um, let's see, well, let, me, let me start with what he has to say. He says, I think that most scientists don't even think enough about God to know whether they believe in him or not. It's just irrelevant to most scientists. I think that they don't even think enough about this whole concept to know whether they're believers or non-believers. The bottom line is that if you look at the universe and study the universe, says Lawrence Krauss, what you find is that there is no evidence that we need anything other than the laws of physics and the other laws of science to explain everything. And then he goes on to say, we see there's absolutely no evidence that we need any supernatural hand of God. And this is the most arrogant statement to make. When somebody can go and say that there is no evidence, you know, in, in, in some kind of a blank statement that we need anything else but the laws of physics and the other laws of science to explain everything. This is both contradictory, hip, it's hypocritical, and it's, it, it, it's stupidity. Let, let, let's break that apart for a second. What is he saying? There's no evidence that we need anything other than the laws of physics. Well, then you do need something. You need the laws of physics. And who exactly created and designed those laws of physics? And when you're talking about physics and you're talking about the way things work, those things that operate by these laws of physics, where did that come from? Those, line, those, those laws of science, who are the ones that were so smart to come up with that program that actually works and makes everything in this world be the way it is? Did you ever go into a room and see everything in an orderly fashion and think for a second that perhaps it all happened by itself? everything that is in a specific place. And, and, you know, the only thing we need is to come into the house and to use everything exactly the way we find it. And then it's a 100% perfect usable house. That's absolutely stupidity. Who made the house? Who put everything down exactly the way it is that now you come about to say, we don't need anything else but the house that we have in front of us in order to be able to live with a roof over our head. He goes on and he says, there's absolutely no evidence that we need any supernatural hand of God. What are you talking about? Then, then, then how exactly did those laws of physics come about? And they're operating through certain matter, energy. Where did that energy come from? Nothing comes from nothing. Absolute nothingness cannot create anything else but what it is, and that is absolute nothingness. You can take silver and then you can mold it into a, a beautiful Kiddush cup and make it into a beautiful menorah, but you have to have some substance to mold into that Kiddush cup and into that menorah. 
And because the silver existed, even before you molded it, it remains in existence even after you shaped it into the Kiddush cup or to the menorah. But where did that silver come from? Who exactly put it over there and made it shine the way it is and gave it its color and, and, and put together its chemistry in such a way that it is hard and it's not a liquid and it's not a gas and it's not a plasma? Who exactly put all of that together? So that statement that Lawrence Krauss says makes no sense. It's absolute stupidity. How a smart man like that can go and make those kind of statements is, I think, beyond beyond me or beyond anybody who, who, who would think into what his, his statements are for a second. Let's take another very, very bright and colorful figure, Richard Feynman. What did Richard Feynman say in regards to when he was asked whether he believes in a God or things of that sort? So one of the statements that he says, and I've heard each one of these people that I'm quoting right now on today's podcast with my own ears by listening to their speeches on YouTube. This is not a quote that I've taken from some uh, website or or, or taken out of some book. I've heard that with my own ears and um, uh, these people saying what I'm, what I'm quoting in their name. So Richard Feynman is saying that he, he thinks the stories of the Bible are way too, 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 too simple, he says. He says it's too local, too provincial. And, and he goes on like mocking. He says, he, talking about God, he came to earth? You, he, and he goes on to say, Richard Feynman, one of the aspects of God came to earth, mind you, and look at what's out there. How, and he goes on, how can it? It's not proportional. You, you, he's saying you want to believe in a God and then you tell me these simple stories of the Bible? You want to you wanna tell me that there's a God and then one aspect of God is, is, is going to deal with, with, with something so small like the earth? something so local, something so provincial? Well, Mr. Feynman, in all your um, genius and incredible mind, and, and it's funny how many of these guys are all Jewish. Uh, you know, uh, Richard Feynman is Jewish, Lawrence Krauss is Jewish, all these incredible thinkers and contributors to science are all Jewish guys. You know, and that's another discussion. Why is it that they have the greatest difficulty in believing and accepting um, the faith of, their, of, 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 of our tradition? And of their own, uh, of, of own, their own great grandparents um, that 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 died and 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 was prosecuted and persecuted and 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 did everything just to give them the possibility to still know and live as a Jew. But let's get back to what Richard Feynman is saying. What Richard Feynman is saying is that God would be too big to deal with anything so small as the earth and 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 the simple stories that the Bible talk about. But that's precisely the point. The point is that whatever we have, even down to the smallest and what you think is the most the insignificant uh, uh, creation that exists, down to the smallest uh, kernel of sand on, on, on the side of a beach, its expression is one of godliness. Since God is infinite, since God is the source, that it is from God that the energy of quantum field theory and quanta, uh, quantum chromodynamics and, and quarks and all of that, it all fluctuates out of God himself. And it's actually God who is expressing himself in the quarks and in the protons and in the electrons and in the neutrons and in the atoms. It is actually an expression of God. So do you are you any less you in the hairs that come out of your head? 
or in the nail that's down at your toe because it's so far from the deep thoughts that your mind can have or the incredible experiences of your heart. No, it's all you. And what he's saying is, is absolutely, it's, it's childish. It's immature. You know, for such a smart man, you know, not to have consulted or to thought a little bit more accurately in regards to if, if there is a God, and most certainly there has to be one, as I already pointed out, when you come, uh, w- when you consider the, the total and complete uh, 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 complications that there are in even one atom, I mean, th- th- that's what makes physicists and theoretical physicists and scientists and, 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 and chemists on, on such a great big pedestal because they're figuring out this incredible complex kind of machinery that exists even in one atom, how much more so in a cell of a person's body, how much more so when it has to operate a hundred trillion times in harmony with each other to be the one body that you are. You're talking about something. Would you imagine for a second, as Ronald Reagan pointed out, that the meal came together by itself? And when it comes down to it, it's only a couple of ingredients. I mean, there isn't that many steps before you can put down an incredible uh, tasty meal. But when you're looking at one cell, when you're looking at one body, you're talking about trillions upon trillions upon trillions of aspects that have to come together exactly so in order for it to be the way it is. How could that ever happen by itself? Doesn't make any sense. Let's take another, let's take another quote from Steven Pinker, another good Jewish boy, a Harvard professor of psychology. So he says the following. He says, I am a cognitive psychologist who takes a thoroughly naturalistic approach to the human mind. And he says, the mind is the product of the brain and the brain is the product of evolution. And there is no need to invoke an immaterial soul in understanding how the mind works. And therefore, one of the traditional motivations for believing in a spiritual realm or deity seems to be in the process of being undercut by the science of human nature, neuroscience, evolution, and genetics. Okay, so this is a guy that's trying to be totally intellectual and through his intellectuality, just like pull the wool over your eyes. You know, th- th- there, is a, there is a known problem, which they call today in science, it's called the hard problem of consciousness. And I believe it came out by a doctor, or, or I think he's a doctor, um, uh, Chalmers. I think his name was David Chalmers. And, and, and the problem of consciousness is the problem of explaining the relationship between physical phenomena, like, you know, the processes, the neurons um, of the brain, the operation, the physical operations of the brain, and the kind of experiences that people have, you know, consciousness, memory, um, uh, emotional experiences. And, you know, this is something that the, the smartest of the smart, um, William Penrose and, and all the smart people are trying to figure out what exactly is the mind? You know, how exactly does it work? It, 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 and, and there's no way anybody has a real answer to that. Is the mind uh, 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 an expression of the physical brain or is the mind something outside of the brain that works through the brain? There really is no answer. And there certainly is no scientific proof to prove one way or the other. But one thing is for sure, people have a mind. And as the old saying goes from Descartes, I think and therefore I am. Now, where is that thinking coming from exactly? What produces that thinking? Where where does the possibility 
to have all the experiences of life come from? What is those experiences of life? And so for a guy like Stephen Pinker to go and say that, you know, there is no more motivation to believe in the spiritual realm because neuroscience explains it all. That's an outright exaggeration of the truth. It's not it's absolutely not true. The only thing neuroscientists can do is tell you the way the brain mechanically works. But where exactly are the thoughts coming from? How exactly they're produced? Where exactly memory resides? And all of that, th- there is no answer to that. I won't even get in, even into the discussion right now uh, uh, of evolution, right? which is a whole other baloney story that they've come to uh, 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 push down the throats of people as another way to, uh, to sort of say, divert the attention from believing in what is very rational and logical. And not only that, as the Torah describes to us um, historically, the great revelation that God gave to the Jewish people um, at at Mount Sinai. But the whole idea of evolution that came out um, not more than about 150 years ago or 200 years ago, uh, from 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 some fellow that ended up in the Galapagos Islands, and and he was looking at finches, and 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 came to some conclusion long before we understood how a cell works and all the uh, organelles in, within the cell and the, the DNA and the mRNA and 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 uh, and everything else that that is a cell. To think all of that could come together would be like looking at an airplane at a jumbo jet. And, and, and thinking that uh, somehow uh, through randomness, the, 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 the plane became what it is. You know, I, I can go on over here with all these different quotes that I had here prepared. Let me just give you two more uh, uh, quotes and um, I guess we'll uh, tie it all together and make some kind of a summary of what the Physics of the Mystics podcast believes is the relationship between science and religion. But before I continue on giving you two other more quotes, um, let me remind everybody to send in your name to physicsofthemystics at gmail.com. And don't even, you don't even have to populate the email. Just send it to me. Tell me you like this show. You don't like this show. Suggestions, what I should talk about on this show. And you will automatically be included in a raffle for a $260 free gift card from Amazon. Okay, Stephen Hawking. I don't have to give you any introduction to Stephen Hawking, right? So, well, one good side to what he starts out saying is that science cannot and does not disprove God. Okay. Oh, so maybe there is uh, a possibility there in that statement that there is a God. But he goes on to say that it's um, unnecessary to believe in a God because science predicts that the universe will be spontaneously created out of nothing without the need of a creator. Now, that's, again, the most ridiculous statement to be said. And when he says nothing, he doesn't truly mean the real definition of nothing as absolutely zero. That would mean no gravity. That would mean no energy fields. That would mean zero, totally zero. Then if there's totally zero, there's nothing that could come out of a zero. When when he's talking about a zero, he's talking about some kind of massless energy uh, that maybe exists before uh, gravitational waves started to uh, uh, started to uh, go out into into the universe. Um, that's what he's talking about. Nothing. 
and when he's when he's saying that uh, as far as science goes right uh, it, it, it's unnecessary to believe in a god because with science we could appreciate how everything came to be spontaneously out of nothing you know once again true nothing can make can make nothing and stephen hawking himself would agree to that so the reason why he says or he's trying to brush off the possibility of a god makes no sense again let me let me just finish today's uh, um physics of the mystics broadcast with one more statement another very popular scientist neil degrasse tyson and he does a lot of uh uh um work out there in the public um trying to teach science and he goes on talking about the floods and the tornadoes and the tsunamis and he goes on to talk about how in other places of the universe it's very inhospitable for humans to live over there and then he ends that whole tirade by saying none of this is a sign that there is a benevolent anything out there that's his bottom line from uh from observing the fact that there are floods and tornadoes and tsunamis in other words there are things that appear to him in his small little mind one of eight billion people you know there are eight billion people on the face of this earth today right the uh, media was making a whole big deal about that and as our torah tells us and as we know to be the truth and the fact of the matter no two people think alike no two people think alike everybody has another world that they live in which is in their brain and their approach to things and their manner in which they look at things and it's all a matter of perspective you know what my lunch and learned the other day i gave this example which i thought was a good example two people right, um, are traveling together in a car. And one guy all of a sudden gets a terrible stomachache. And uh, he got to go, you know, he's got to go. He's got to go to the bathroom. The other one is driving the car. And all of a sudden he notices that the car is running out of gas. There's only like 10 miles left, the meter is saying, before the car runs out of gas. And all of a sudden, after driving for quite a while in the deserted territory, you know, there's nothing around them. They're driving through the desert of the Nevada uh, deserts. Right? All of them, they start seeing lights and they start getting exciting. We're coming to populated areas and they enter into the, into the boundaries of the city. And uh, as they're driving through buildings, um, one guy only sees toilets. He only sees the possibility to stop and find himself a toilet to relieve himself. The other guy who's driving the car, he only sees one thing. He sees where is the possibility to go and fill up his car with gas. Now, the two of them are sitting in the same car and they're driving through the same village. But one only sees and they're focused on finding a place to stop and go to the toilet. The other one is focused and he is only seeing where is there any indication uh, to fill up his car with gas. So the, the point of that example was to say that all of us live in our head. That for the most part, it's all a matter of perspective. And we're going to get to that when we talk about quantum physics and the observer and the observed and things of that sort, right? Really, the life of everybody is in the observer. That's where the world uh, really resides. But there are 8 billion people on the face of this earth, and no two people think alike. Now, the one who had to design all those different minds obviously had to incorporate all those 8 billion different ways in order to come out of himself the idea of each individual mind. You know, you can live two people together for 50 years, a husband and a wife, and still after 50 years, 
each one is surprising the other as far as the way they think or the way they approach things. Because as long as you stay in your own head, you haven't seen and figured out in its entirety what's going on in the other person's head, even when you're living with them for 50 years. So how does a fellow like Neil deGrasse Tyson, who was a smart scientist, right, conclude that because there were floods, tornadoes, and tsunamis, that is a sign that there is no benevolent anything out there. To the contrary, the fact that there was such a beautiful world and there was so much science that Neil deGrasse Tyson himself is so bewildered by and, 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 and teaches and talks about uh, is the greatest proof that there is a God who is beyond even the mind of Neil deGrasse Tyson. If he, was a, if he was able to create these 8 billion different minds in a universe that keeps on expanding, that is so big and so vast, and we are such a tiny little nothing and speck in this vast universe, does Neil deGrasse Tyson know what's going on in this great big universe? And when he sees a big explosion far off someplace, can he explain what it is? So how does he attempt to conclude with such certainty that there is no God because he doesn't see any signs of it? So the bottom line is that there really is no conflict between science and religion. None at all. Science is part of the way God created this universe so that human beings who are, uh, who are limited and boxed into space-time, which is another point we're going to talk about when we get to Albert Einstein, and we, get to, we, we talk about relativity, special relativity, general relativity, and we discuss the possibility of finding a, uh, a principle that unites quantum physics and, 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 and regular science. There is no conflict between science and religion, none at all whatsoever. Scientists are only a small, mere mortals trying to figure out to the best that they can from the outside the way some things work. And to a little degree and to up to a limited point, they do figure things out um, in, in an exceptional way. What we have today in the world and what we enjoy of technology is all due to the great discoveries of scientists. But for any one of them to go and uh, expand on, on those incredible, beautiful discoveries beyond the limitations of what they know and to already uh, 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 propose beyond that limitation is really a huge, big arrogance on their part. The scientists have the problem because of their evil inclination with God and with religion. But science itself is just the mechanism with which God creates the world. The Torah tells us after the flood, God promised that the seasons would continue forever and they would never stop. In other words, God made a certain predictability to nature and to the world so that we can somehow, as human beings who live in this uh, 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 structure of time of yesterday, today, and tomorrow, Shabbos is going to be in a few days, and then Hanukkah is going to be in another few days. So th there are different milestones um, along the way um, when it comes to time. There are certain milestones along the way when it comes to space. And we don't live in the world of waves and of, of unseen energy and things of that sort. And so there is no conflict between science and religion whatsoever at all. You can be a good, dedicated scientist and very much know and understand and appreciate that it's to the credit of God 
that it works the way it is. And that's what we're doing on this program. I'm going even further than that in this Physics of the Mystics program, demonstrating that it's actually in our practices as a Jew on a regular basis, that recognition of the input of God within the signs that scientists are discovering of light. When quantum physics tells us that the entire world is made of three levels of energy and four forces, and then we discover that that's precisely the way, for example, um, Kabbalah talks about the inception of the Jewish people that um, at, at, at its cornerstone, there are three forefathers and four matriarchs. And as the books of the Zohar um, teach us um, on this week's Torah portion, when it talks about the death of Sarah. So it talks about Sarah, the matriarchs representing the body and, and actually the actual forces. And then it talks about Abraham being this soul. So Abraham and Sarah was the soul that was married to the body. There are levels of energy, and then there are actual forces. This is mind-blowing. When you, uh, when you, when you realize the, the incredible relationship between the concepts that the Torah tells us and what we are recognizing today um, through the great discoveries of scientists. Anyways, ladies and gentlemen, I think I've overdone my stay in today's Physics of the Mystics podcast. I hope you enjoy it. I hope I hear from you um, by sending me your email to physicsofthemystics at gmail.com.